On this episode of The Essence of Cool, we chat with celebrated British presenter Stuart Calder. Stuart's program, The Electrowave Show on Artifactor Radio, celebrates synth-based artists both old and new, and draws an audience from virtually every corner of the globe. His knowledge of electronic music is vast, and he teaches me something new every time we chat. Stuart, by the way, was the first presenter outside of Japan to play Church of Trees' debut single, Crumbs. Today, he tells us why Depeche Mode and Simple Minds are the essence of cool. Let's get started. We're going to talk a little bit about one of my, my all-time fave bands, Depeche Mode. They've been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently. I saw that, and unfortunately, it was during COVID. Um, and it was a, it was very silly and fun uh, their acceptance speech. But I, I really wanted to see them perform. You know, so yeah. it was a real drag. Absolutely, I think it, it was a funny video. I've got to say, it did make me laugh. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was good. Yeah, it would have been good to see them perform again because um, they are awesome live absolutely uh an awesome band to go and see live i think the last time i saw them was two or three years ago in manchester at the arena in manchester and you it was full absolutely full to the the rafters and we were on the side and when you see um a man standing on the stage have holding court with twenty or thousand people um wow. doing never let me down again and he's and everyone's arms in the air and and wow. every man to a person was and you look around the arena and the lights are on and you just see everybody you just think this that's cool that you gotta be yeah. pretty cool to do that you know yeah one of my biggest regrets is that i have not seen them live and oh, uh, i do hope yeah, I know. I know. I do hope COVID ends soon and uh, that uh, Depeche Mode gets back on the road because I, I have to see them. You, you uh, do. Yes, you do. That's, that, yeah. that, that should be on your bucket list, mate, certainly. Yeah, it's it's at the very top, believe you me. Um, so my um, I'm I'm dancing in a my local dance club. This is about 1980 81, I guess. And the my introduction to Depeche Mode is just can't get enough. Yeah. And I could not get enough after I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> How were you introduced to them? Yeah, similar sort of uh, way, really. I think uh, I think I wasn't sure if CU or was, was out be- was out before. Just can't get enough. I can't remember now. Um, but certainly uh, the CU just can't get enough. Those two tracks were um, were certainly the, the the start of of um, of really what was uh, has been a journey with Depeche Mode for me um, over the last uh, forty years. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, they just can't get enough. Is it just hooks you in straight away? And like you say, if you're at a disco or a nightclub and someone was playing that, you 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 were going to dance. You were going to dance yeah. because you couldn't not. Um, and everybody was like, it was a real floor filler and everything. And I remember seeing them on top of the pops uh, performing. Uh, just can't get enough as well. And you, they were they were kind of my age almost. I mean, they were a bit right. older than me, obviously, but. Um, I think I was 14 at the time or something, you know, and you, they were 19 and you're thinking, yeah. these guys are just a little bit older than me and they're on top of the pops. How does that work? You know, 
<laughs> I, I remember seeing that clip. Uh, of course, we only see it on reruns on YouTube yeah. over here. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Martin and Dave looked like they were in still in high school. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You, you just looked at me. And I, I just they just like kids to me. They just look like a couple yeah. a couple of years older than me. You know, I was. I'm thinking I'm taller than these guys. I'm bigger than these guys. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now the first album features, of course, Martin Gore, Dave Gann. Uh, Andy Fletcher, but also includes Vince Clark, who promptly leaves after the first album to form two more legendary bands, Yazoo and Erasure. Now, <laughs> that I, I can't imagine. Do we know why Vince left? I don't know, but I, I think he... I've read somewhere a while ago. I think he was. I think he was moving too fast. The Depeche Mode thing for him a little bit, and um, I think he he met Alison Moyet um, very soon after he was in was in Depeche Mode, and I think he wanted to get away a little bit at the time from the electronic, the the, the very electronic sound um, of Depeche Mode. And although Yazoo was electronic, it had the Alison Moyet's soulful voice added to the mix oh, as yeah. well. So I think that was one of the reasons why he wanted to, to move away from that. I think he was maybe feeling that, do you know what? I'm on a machine here um, with a, ba- a boy band, essentially was a boy band, and uh, we're just going on and on and on. But I think he, he was really interested in, um, when he met Alison Moyet and her voice, I think he just wanted to make music with her. And although it was electronic, obviously, I just think he had a, that little bit of a twang for the soul side and stuff. Yeah, and what a voice, just an incredible voice, uh, Alison Moyet, goodness. Um, the third album, uh, I, I skipped to the third album only because um, th- this is where they really start to break on a more international scene. Uh, some great reward with People yeah. Are People. I mean, that becomes an LGBTQ anthem and is embraced around the world and especially and particularly in the U.S. And I often wonder about U.K. bands coming, breaking in the U.S. Is there kind of a feeling in the U.K. like, oh, you turned your back on us because now you're in the U.S. and they like you? Is there any kind of a backlash like that? Oh, I don't, from a fan's point of view, I I don't think so. I think you're quite proud that the people that you've, um, identified as some as a band you can identify with it's being um doing a lot better in other doing better in other countries they were just huge in america in north america yeah. sorry they're absolutely huge and they're, they're obviously huge throughout the world um i, I would say that i don't think they turned their back on us I, I, I think sometimes now when you see some of the bands touring and depeche mode are a little bit like that like i said when i saw them a couple of years ago they only did i think two or three uk gigs i think they did manchester glasgow and london and just did three gigs and you think, mm. hang on a minute, you know, you're from the UK. Surely to God, you should be doing a few more around the country so the, the fans can see them. There's enough arenas to go around, you know. And right. that kind of stuck in the throat, I think, of a lot of fans that um, have paid a lot of money over the years and, and and paid a lot of money for the tickets to go and see Depeche Mode in Manchester. I think uh, even just three or four years ago now, I think about 70 or 80 pounds for, for a ticket. Wow. Um, wow. So there was a little bit of that later on, I think, that they turned their back on the UK 
um, with the touring side of stuff because it was a very limited number of gigs you can go and see. Yeah. And now that album is brimming with hits. We got People Are People, Somebody, Master and Servant, Blasphemous Rumors. Um, how how were you feeling about the album? Was it an, an advancement? Was it an expected uh, uh, change, a progression? Um, I, I was really into the one before it, Construction Time Again. I thought that was a really well-constructed um, album, dare I say it. Um, they, uh, they had a lot of good tracks on there, but obviously some great reward was was different to, to uh, Construction Time Again. Um, it, it was one of my... I, th- I think Construction Time Again and Some Great Reward, in my eyes, were two very, very good albums that I, I really enjoyed. The The track on um, Some Great Reward that really does um, sort of resonate with me is Somebody, because yeah. it's a track that I wouldn't have had as as a single almost. It's a ballad at the end of the day. Right. And it's not, it isn't Depeche Mode. Uh, you know, Depeche Mode do jingly, jangly pop songs. Right. And this is a ballad. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so that that was a different. I was surprised that was a hit. I thought, oh, maybe this isn't going to be a, be a hit, but it, it was. It, it did really well, and, and it was, was obviously a hit all around the world. And you get into the sort of um, the the kind of sexual side of things with Master and Servant as well. You know right. um, that that was quite you know like like an snm type uh, track that <laughs> somehow got got you know was seen under the radar and people played it you know and it's just like come on someone must see this somewhere you know when I mean, frankie goes to hollywood was banned because of relax and stuff and this right this, this snm songs coming on and you see someone's have a laugh here right? but it, it, it was it was really good in my eyes I, I did enjoy some great reward and, and there were some wonderful hits um like i said blasphemous rumors as well was it was a single and and if uh, yeah. what what threw me because i i got it on cassette first of all the album and I, again with this trusted sony walkman that i had um it might be in version two at the time <laughs> when i had the, my headphones in and you hear blasphemous rumors start, and it and the stereo goes around your ears. Yeah, um, if you've, it's just incredible. It's just like I hadn't heard that before, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's just just every night. It's the little somethings on that album, that the little gifts everywhere that make you think this is really good. The some the track somebody being the ballad. Don't expect that blasphemous rumors with the around the stereo as well. SM discussion on the master and servant, you know, <laughs> and, and it just those little things which made it into one of their classic albums of the of the day, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, you'd mentioned, you know, uh, Depeche Mode is known for doing jingly jangly pop songs, but then we get to Black Celebration, and yeah. if uh, Blasphemous Rumors wasn't dark enough for you, oh my gosh, tell me about your feeling about Black Celebration because they got really dark. That went. That was. This is my favorite album. Um, absolutely, yeah. my favorite album. Uh, there's, there's something about um, Black Celebration. The track itself, I think, is an absolutely incredible track. Um, yeah. It kind of builds and it builds, and then you get into it, and then it just drops, and away it goes. Um, and also stripped as well, I think was an absolutely incredible single. And it was one of those those tracks again. I didn't think was going to be. Oh, it's not. Gonna, it's not going to do well. This because it's quite slow. And but and I hate to say it, Bernard, but if you get a chance to see it live, you it's just awesome 
just incredible. The lighting and the the actual strengths of the the synths coming through the speakers, um, it just it takes over an entire audience, and yeah. it's just just beautiful. But like you say, it's quite a dark album. Um, is black celebration and like question of time as well and uh, uh you know that was a really 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 good single as well i just got i just I, that was that that was a, one of the pinnacles for me i think black celebration um he just went it just went to a new level you know from from being just kind of getting off and uh, and see you and, and going into uh some great reward and and, and then uh, then then coming out of that and going into Black Celebration, I just felt it was a there was a new level there of matureness. I think there was it was I felt that matured that other on that album, you know, into a yeah. into a band that could quite clearly play arenas and stadiums, you know. Yeah, and that that darkness, that sort of atmospheric sound. I guess I was reading on the wiki page. They said was uh, mostly attributed to Alan Wilder, who I guess replaced Vince Clark uh, back after Vince left after the first album. Uh, is that your estimation as well? Yeah, I think so. I think um, Alan Wilder is is quite sorely missed from the band at the moment as well. Um, yeah. He he brought. He he was the quiet one in my eyes right. <laughs> of the of, of the band that, that just just get on and and write the songs and and uh, you know create these masterpieces and I think that I think that's a, a very valid comment that he was behind a lot of the the the, the bigger albums I think um, within within Depeche Mode certainly a, yeah. a really big influence on the band you know and uh, speaking of of, of big albums. 1987, they released Music for the Masses, which has to be one of my all-time faves, which is equally dark as Black Celebration, I think. Yeah. And it doesn't do very well. It, and it goes crazy here in, in uh, North America, but it doesn't do very well in the UK. Any idea why? I, I don't know. I think it, it kind of appealed to the American audience, I think, as you know, or the North American audience, should I say, uh, in a different way to it did uh, the UK. Now, the, the one track on that album that people over here would just want to see live is Never Let Me Down. You know, Never right. Let Me Down Again, sorry. And they they finish the, they, they generally finish their show with that track. And it goes on for about seven or eight minutes. And it's incredible. It's an inc- it's a really good track anyway, um, but uh, it's awesome to see live. Really cool, cool to see live. But I don't know why. Uh, I mean, we had Strange Love coming off that album as well. Behind the um, wheel, never let me down. Behind the wheel, you know, which I thought was an awesome track. Me too. Um, and but I think the B side of Behind the Wheel was Route sixty six over here in the UK. Ooh. Now, I don't know if that had any influence. <laughs> if it was a B-side of of the single over in the US, I don't know if that had any influence. The singing about Route 66, I don't know. But um, Well, probably it had an impact on folks south of the border. Yeah, well, not, not so much guys, here in no, Canada. No. But... <laughs> so I, 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 keep, I, keep, I keep saying North America, not, not America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think that that album itself, I, I thought was a really good album. It didn't really didn't hit home with me as much as black celebration and i don't know if it was written for the american or the north american audience uh, i i just don't know i think and i just going back to ultravox for a second is that ultravox some of their albums over uh, didn't get get received particularly well by the north american audience and so i wonder if 
if if this music and the ma- music for the masses uh, was um, was was written on the back of uh, an American audience, and of course there, there was the one hundred and one uh, album as well, which was a live album, wasn't there? Right, could w- very well have done. I I don't know, but uh, yeah, perhaps that's the distinction. Is uh, it was more directed or more aimed at North American audience? Um, I want to talk a little bit about videos uh, because I, I think of um, Depeche Mode and some of the great videos they've produced. Uh, but videos can sometimes hurt you. Has there ever been a video in your mind that uh, Depeche Mode has released that maybe should have been rethought? Um, I think they were very clever in in the way they did the video, especially with the Anton uh, Corbin um, era. They were doing videos. Uh, the you know they they I, I don't think there was nothing there for me that that stands out as something that could have been rethought. I just think they were very clever. Um, the, the, Depeche Mode have always been quite pioneering in, in in doing things a little bit differently, and the videos that they were doing, which don't, which don't forget, was around the MTV time as well, when MTV was actually a music channel <laughs> and not <Right>. uh, <laughs> and not what it is now, you know. Um, no. So, so probably just going back to the previous discussion about music for the masses, you know, the videos that came out for those for, for that could have had an influence as well on the audience in the US and, and yeah. Canada. Um, but I don't think there was any videos in my eyes that, that I can think of that I'm going, oh, that was a little bit, a um, little bit strange, you know. Um, they, I, I don't really, uh, no, I don't think so. Do you have a different opinion, Bernard? No, I don't. I don't. I'm just curious because I, you know, a number of bands have, have had real misses for, from a video perspective, uh, but I, I don't recall Depeche Mode ever releasing something that didn't have. A, a wonderful impact on me. You know, I, I, I think of uh, Behind the Wheel and Personal Jesus and uh, wow, just great, great videos. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I did, you know, it was a strange thing for me back in the, uh, back in the eighties with the videos and where videos were the big thing and they were the ones that sold a lot of the songs. It didn't really work for me. I was one that wanted to hear the music first of all. And then potentially see the video afterwards. So um, I, it, it kind of worked the other way around for me. It was always music first, video second, and right. but there was definitely a sort of definitely a kind of a feeling back in the eighties that the video was driving the music rather than the other way around. You know, uh, where, where the video should be just uh, almost like an add-on in my eyes, anyway. Right. There was a period in the latter part of the eighties and the early nineties where um, sort of mainstream radio wasn't really playing much of the of the bands that i liked they weren't playing a lot of sort of like more electronic bands or more synth pop bands uh it was more at that time i guess it was more hair metal and uh, i wasn't really into that Mm. um so i often sought out my music on mtv and much music much music is sort of the canadian version of mtv so i ended up seeing uh, the music, seeing the music literally first before I actually heard the music. So, yeah, that, that's why videos made a big, big impact on me. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I understand that completely. I think the, a lot of the bands that we we were enjoying back in the eighties, which um, which kind of fell out of favour in the early nineties when um, the music over here turned into more kind of techno and rave, um, that kind of side of stuff. Um, but then again, you, you, when you take into account, um, Depeche Mode, 
and the influence they've had on, we were talking about John Lennon, I think, at one point, but off uh, earlier on in the conversation. And um, we said what what an impression he'd made. But Depeche Mode were very, very similar because without Depeche Mode, you would not have had a rave scene or a techno scene um, over here in the UK because they were really good at um, redesigning their singles through excellent remixes that weren't necessarily the same because what you'll know yourself when you got 12 inch remix back in, back in the day, all it was really was a longer introduction or a longer end or, uh, you know, an extra little bit in the middle. There was nothing major, but a lot of the people who were listening to Pesh Motor, and I can remix that. I can make that into a bit more dance. I can make it a bit more clubby. And right. and as a result of that, those who were going to the, the, the bars and the clubs in the 80s were, were dancing to Depeche Mode and the remixes. And I think, I can make music like this. Right. And that had a knock-on effect into rave and techno, um, certainly in the 90s in the UK, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And and without that, there'd be a lot of bands that w- would turn around and say, "Yeah, Depeche Mode got made me into the the artist I am now." You know. Right. So I think that you can't underestimate their effect on on musicians going forward, and even now with electronic musicians, as as you well know, Bernard, that um, that will cite Depeche Mode as as key influences um, on how they make their music nowadays. And we're talking, like you say, 35, 40 years ahead. And there's people still making music with the Depeche Mode, um, sort, of, sort of Depeche Mode ringing in their ears as they make the music. Yeah, too right, too right. Um, so if they weren't big enough after Music for the Masses, 1990 comes along with Violator and they just blow up around the world. And I mean, so many great songs off of Violator, but I guess Violator heralded a, a quite a change in how they were recording. Uh, I just want to read something uh, here. It's a, uh, Alan Wilder is talking and he says, usually we begin the making of a record by having extensive pre-production meetings where we decide what the record's actually going to sound like. Then we go into a programming studio. This time we decided to keep all the pre-production work to a minimum. We were beginning to have a problem with boredom in that we felt we'd reached a certain level of achievement in doing things in a certain way. Mike Gore said, over the last five years, I think we've perfected a formula, my demos, a month in the program studio, et cetera, et cetera. We decided that our, our first record of the 90s ought to be different. So the question is, did that change in direction work for you? Uh, I think it did. Um, I, I, was, I wouldn't say I was getting a little bit bored of Depeche Mode, but um, I felt they were becoming a little bit samey. Um, and I think that, that that's right. What, what's what's been written is that there was obviously a formula there that seemed to work for the for the band that gave them hits, and they could carry on doing that. Um, but they did reinvent themselves a little bit with Violator, um, especially with the addition of um, some guitars for us, certainly guitars. Um, uh, you know, we got Personal Jesus, for instance. You know, uh, the the the. The, that was an epic track, absolute, really good track, and the the guitar hook on the back of that was was really really good. And I think it helped when they changed producer then. And um, I think I think they used um, Flood for for that album, and uh, and, right. I, and they used uh, Francois. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Kevokian is it? I think that's how, you say, that's how you pronounce it. So he was, and he's gone ahead and done remixes, and uh, you know 
since the, he was involved with that album and and got involved with other other bands and it is a bit more of a kind of an, an edgier feel to the album violator had an edgier feel in my eyes to it mm-hmm. um however enjoy the silence was like a proper pop song <laughs> it was a proper depeche mode you know <laughs> Right. <laughs> they, I think they recorded this one in Italy, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I kind of felt like this album had a much more European flavor, like less kind of their roots and more flavored by their experiences in Italy and France. Did, did you get that same feeling or is that yeah. just me? No, I think, I think you're right. I, I, I think you are right. I think the addition of the guitars and, and, and different sort of instruments within that, um, violator period also che- marked a change in the, 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 the landscape in Europe as well of, of music because guitars were coming back into fashion again. Um, you, you had, you had your oasis is starting to come into play. And, um, a lot of the, the mad Chester bands as they were called at the time, there was more guitars coming into the scene. Whereas before it was generally, it was, um, it was all kind of keyboards really. And, um, on, on, on electronic production i think that could have been a little bit of a driver but i think also as well it was written mainly for a european audience the europeans loved it i know in germany it went down awesomely well that album it was really big over there and um and and i i did think it was a good album and and what what really got me was the cleverness of they've been away for a few years they 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 hadn't had an album out for quite a while and they, the first track they released of Violator was Personal Jesus. And what they did, uh, they put an advert, I think, in a, in a paper, um, in a lot of the regional papers in the UK. And all it said was, your own personal Jesus and a telephone number, okay? Oh. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people phoned it up. And as soon as they got through, it was, your, it was the song Personal Jesus, so uh, it was just a a really cool marketing exercise to get them you know and that that was quite well um, documented over in the uk i just thought that was a brilliant someone's had a really good idea of doing that you know yeah uh so i had thousands of of calls to this 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 phone line and people were hearing depeche mode again for the first time in a few years you know um, following that, the next couple of years, they uh, they put out Songs of Faith and Devotion and uh, Ultra, I guess, is after that. During that time, and I guess there's, there's quite a period of time between the two, uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion in 93 and Ultra in 97. But during that time, it sounds like uh, Dave is um, starting to struggle uh, with addiction. What do you know about that? Yeah, I, I think he was um, in a very, very bad place. And you can tell that really from the, the album Ultra. Uh, you, you can feel it all. You can feel his pain almost through that, you know. Um, yeah. There were some some good tracks. It was, that was probably the darkest album they did, you know. And I know Black we said Black Celebration was a bit dark, but this was a bit disturbingly dark almost, you know. Um, yeah. There was a bar- Barrel of a Gun. Um, and even the remix of Barrel of a Gun were a bit, you know, oh, this is a little bit um, disturbingly dark, as I would say, and uh, and it's yeah. no good as well. Um, was a, a another quite dark song, but 
you could tell he was he was struggling then. You really could tell, and it's I think it's well well known and well documented that uh, he nearly died from his addictions um, during that yeah. period of time. And he goes to sing about that on, on one of his solo albums. There's one there's a track called "Dirty Sticky Floors" by Dave Garn. Um, okay. And if you listen to that, uh, it's it's about his his time um, being a druggie, essentially. But it's a very yeah. good track, though. You know, it's a solo track. But it's a really good track. So yeah, essentially, he was in a bad place, and I think he was he was lucky to come out the back of that. Yeah, I, I listened to Barrel of a Gun. I mean, what pro- probably you know, one my favorite song off that album um, had a tremendous impact on me. But now, looking back on that, knowing some of the history, uh, I mean, it's heartbreaking. Uh, n- not only is this guy, you know singing this really deep song but to think that i guess dave wrote it and is dave writing it about or, or that martin wrote it but is martin writing about dave's experience I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case because i almost felt that that track was a goodbye track and that sounds really really sort of harsh really but i i don't know if that was one of those tracks that um, there, I think Dave may have been thinking, this is not going to end well, you know, and you could actually, sounds like we're getting very depressing here, aren't we really? But then it's a very depressing <laughs> album. <laughs> you, you know, um, I, I just felt that was, that was the really, uh, the. I think it's a really good track. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the track, yeah. but I just felt it was something that was, it was really deeply dark and disturbingly dark as well. That one. Indeed. Uh, it really reminds me of, I mean, just thinking not just the, the content of the song, but the circumstances reminds me of uh, Trent Reznor singing Hurt with Nine Inch Nails yeah. during the throes of his own uh, heroin addiction, right? Yeah. And it just it had, it had a similar impact on me when I, I look back on it and, and knowing what he was going through at the time. And it just... Uh, uh, it is a very disturbing song, but uh, a, a brilliant song nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. And, and I did actually like the track "Useless" as well uh, that was on um, on that album. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a um, there's a remix of that that's out, which is quite um, uh, it's quite stripped back, and uh, it's about nine minutes long. But it's quite a sort of a chilled out version of Useless, and it's, and it's really good, really, really good. And I prefer that remix to the, to the actual track itself, yeah. if I'm honest with you. I would say, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but maybe not, um, that Depeche Mode is probably one of the most important bands of our generation. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, there's nothing sure that that, uh, that 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 is the case. They've spawned many other bands out of the back of it. Um, they've reinvented themselves a number of times. I've got to say, the last few albums, I've not really kind of got, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't know whether they've gone past the sell-by date at the moment um, or they need to have a look at how they're making the music. But they, they, it, it's just felt that they're not really being Depeche Mode, if that makes sense, um, almost a little bit bland, trying a bit too hard, possibly. Um, no, Where's the Revolution? That's a good track, you know, but a little bit limited, really, on what I like um, since since probably, I'd say probably Ultra, if I'm honest with you. Um, I think that's probably what I'm trying to say. But, but, but up until that point, 
without a shadow of a doubt, they were one of the most influential bands um, that I can think of. I put them up there with with the Beatles, if I'm honest with you, but in a different way with Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk, one of the most influential electronic bands ever. They were the first guys to start doing electronic music, and it probably had spawned Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode themselves have spawned other bands as well on the back of it. Um, so it's a perpetual yeah. thing as we keep going. I think my concern now is there's not many bands that where you're going to find your your next um, next band that's going to be so influential. It'll it'll inspire a generation to make music. I don't think there's anything out there at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm struggling to find it. If it is, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Um, and um, hopefully, someone or will will arise uh, in the next year or two to, to take that banner and uh, push music forward because uh, we certainly we're, we're due <laughs> um, yeah on that note I just would quick, quickly um, r- to wrap this up what um, how would you say Depeche Mode represent the essence of cool I think well they've gone from nerdy to cool in my eyes Okay, uh, because like I said, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but when I saw them on on top of the pops, they weren't particularly cool. They were just like me, I'm not that's particularly right. cool, you know. Um, <laughs> but I've I've seen Depeche Mode live. Um, I would say probably five times over the over the period of um, of, of time. I think uh, the last time I saw them, like I said, at the Manchester Arena, and Dave Garn has got. Uh, an incredible stage presence. Um, uh, for someone who's about five foot six, five foot seven, his presence is, is awesome. Um, he can hold an order. And the band themselves um, are very good. And like I say, Martin Gore would sing as well and play the guitar. And um, it, it, you just feel an aura coming from the band when they come on stage. Um, yeah. and I was always first to, to get a Depeche Mode album that came out. I was always going to buy it on the same day it was out. Um, right. and th- so they have that, 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 that aura about them to make you want to do that. And when you see them live and I really hope you do Bernard at some point, see them live. Um, you, you, you feel that. You really do feel that coolness. And the fact that they've actually inspired dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of bands around the world to make music, I think it doesn't get much cooler than that. Yeah. I, I think like David Bowie, um, like uh, Peter Murphy, Dave Gann just looks like the epitome of a rock star. Yeah, he does, yeah. I've got to say. I think, I, I think he, he's, he's certainly grown into that um over the last few years um okay when you see you 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 watched the 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 101 dvd or video with where it was at pasadena bowl i think it was um and he he held the he held the stage um on that um that dvd but when you watch him now it's a different type of dave garn it's a guy who's obviously been through his troubles and come out the other end and is confident in himself again, which I think is really good to see. And it's a, a much more mature Dave Garn um, live on stage, and it's really incredibly good to see. On that note, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Simple Minds. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thanks. 
thanks for tuning in to The Essence of Cool. As an independent podcast, we rely wholly and completely on support of listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please help keep us on the air and throw a few bucks in our electronic tip jar. You can find it on the front page of our website, theessenceofcool.com. We truly appreciate your help. Now let's get back to the show. We're back on The Essence of Cool. We're talking to Stuart Calder, and we're about to chat about Simple Minds. So here's the thing. Most of us in Canada had heard nothing about Simple Minds until (laughs) nigh on the fourth album, right? Uh, What's the fourth? Sons Sons in Fascination, and we heard Love Song, which, of course, you know, everybody fell immediately in love with. What was your introduction to Simple Minds? Had you heard the earlier albums? Uh, no. Uh, my introduction to Simple Minds was A New Gold Dream. Oh. Um, I I picked up that album. Yeah, I, I, I heard Promise You a Miracle, and I thought, oh, I like that song. And I went out and bought the album New Gold Dream. And I listened to it, and it was the mo- one of the most inspiring albums I've heard. Um, the bass on that album by Derek Forbes was just incredible. It was almost like a bit of a, a chilled out album, an album you can almost play at a dinner party almost, you know, um, it had a real warmth about it. And I, I, I have played the album. I literally hundreds of times. And that was my first real introduction, um, to, uh, to simple minds. Um, and then I went backwards like I did with Ultravox. Um, I kind of went back to, I thought I'll get life in a day. I didn't really get that album because it wasn't what I was hearing off New Gold Dream. And I kind of expected, um, it all to be the same and, and all a bit, um, Simple Minds would have, this is, I heard New Gold Dream. This is the Simple Minds, um, sound. This is what I want to hear. I went back to life in a day and I didn't really get it, you know? because uh, it was quite rocky and there was um, a lot, lots of more guitars in there and it felt more guitar orientated. And the same with like real to real cacophony as well. Um, it wasn't really, again, this is stuff that when I was 15 at the time, 14, 15 at the time, just didn't quite get it. And then I heard empires and dance and then I got a bit more into it. And I don't know what it was about empires and dance that, that really kind of uh, made me feel a bit more, ah, yeah, this is actually all right. Whether it became a bit less, uh, a bit, a bit more commercial. I don't know. Then that, as you're right, sons and fascination, sister feelings called those two albums. I just thought were, were, were incredible. Love song is still one of my favorite songs today. Uh, it's, it's brilliant. And, and also the instrumentals on um, Sister Feelings Call, I think, um, really have um, have changed the way I looked at Simple Minds without a shadow of a doubt. When I theme for Great Cities um, is an, an incredibly good instrumental. Again, uh, Astrodyne was one of my favourites. Theme for Great Cities is one of my other favourites instrumental tracks as well. Um, and Love Song and, and the, those two albums, Sister Feelings Call, and uh, Sons and Fascination with Sweating Bullet as well. And uh, mm-hmm. it just really did. Uh, it seemed that whereas I was expecting everything to be like New Gold Dream, and that as I went backwards, it got rawer and rawer and rawer. Right. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then, then when I came forward again, I got to Sister Feelings Call and Sons of Fascination, and the jump from that to New Gold Dream was a smaller jump, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> their their trajectory uh, in terms of the changing of their, their uh, sound over the first several albums kind of reminds me a little of what Japan did, too, yeah. because if you recall, the first couple of albums of Japan were very guitar-oriented, and then suddenly they seemed to seep into the synth, the world of synth pop, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that was the same sort of, uh, I think, this is, bear in mind, this is back in the day where um, you you were doing three or four albums before you even got listened to almost by any any big radio station. Um, you were going out and you were touring with these albums. You were in in small venues and bars and stuff, playing playing stuff like um, you know Life in a Day, um, and you know th- these are small venues that you that bands were cutting their teeth on. It was the same with Japan, and there's a whole host of like and even Ultravox with their their early stuff with, with John Fox. They were they were playing small places, you know, uh, cutting their teeth and uh, and and honing themselves. And there are some bands that are doing that now, but it's it's quite rare. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about New Gold Dream, and I have to full full disclosure, Stuart. I I kind of nicked <laughs> the name uh, New Gold Dream for my Church of Trees album, New Bold Dawn, because I love the sound <laughs> of it. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, But I wanted to read a couple of quick uh, reviews, Uh, one from Paul Morley of the NME, who wrote, My loyalty towards Simple Minds is known to be considerable, yet even I am jarred by the constant beauty of this music. New Gold Dream robs, robs me of my breath. And then Record Mirror's Mark Cooper writes, they have stunned and impressed me, but they have rarely moved me. Suddenly, in New Gold Dreams, they've conquered their fear of feeling and come out shining. Though that's some pretty heady language there. What what was it about their sonic approach in New Gold Dream that kind of made everybody stand up and say, wow? I, I, I can't really put my finger on it. it. It was a cool album. It really was a cool album. That, and it took me... It took me a dozen listens to to really appreciate it. I think it, I, I put it on. I thought it was a bit bland, and then the more you listen to it, you, the the more it, you warm to it, and and you the tracks on there like Hunter and the Hunted, I think has a real warmth about it. With I think Herbie Hancock's on that on oh wow. on keyboards. I think I think he is. Yeah, um, I'll have to check that out afterwards. But I'm sure he's on on um, Hunter and the Hunted. Uh, so. It just had a warmth about it, a nice warmth about it. Um, the the singles, uh, uh, "Promise You a Miracle" and "Glittering Prize," were were just really good, r- well written songs, and they were well executed. I think uh, Jim Kerr's voice uh, throughout the entire album changes a little bit. If you get on to um, "King Is White" in the crowd, it's different voice to uh, off the the sing- the, the track at "New Gold Dream." You know, they sound a little bit different. Um, right. I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is about that album that makes me go, oh, that is just brilliant. And, 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 yeah. and this is 40 years later, and I'm asking myself the same question. Yeah. Uh, I actually just looked it up, and you're right, Herbie Hancock was uh, playing uh, synth on Hunter and the Hunted. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Someone Somewhere in Summertime was the one that uh, uh, that just slayed me. Uh, yeah. Just w- don't know what it was about that, uh, whether it was just the, the Jim's wonderful alliteration or <laughs> yeah. just his his voice is stunning. It's just stunning. No, I, I agree. And I 
got the 12-inch version of that. And if you've heard the 12-inch version, you've got Charlie's guitar at the very beginning um, before the, the song does kick in. If you haven't heard it, have a listen to it. It's just this really cool guitar at the beginning of the 12-inch version, which is 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 just simple minds just it's just just them just charlie birchall um playing wonderful guitar as he does throughout the entire album um beautiful beautiful album and and it's well polished well produced um it, it appeals to many people um I, I really can't explain it it's just one of those beautiful albums that is in my top three of albums that and raging eden um yeah. they're, they're both fighting for the, for the number one spot um whereas i can say why raging eden is but i can't say why new gold dream is and that sounds really awful when you're asking me about it <laughs> <laughs> um so they in 84 they released sparkle in the rain also a, a series of, of great songs up on the catwalk speed your love to me um was this uh progression in your mind or was it I I thought it was going back a little bit to the roots, almost. You know, mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit of that that um, that 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 there was a lot more rocky and sparkle in the rain, especially with the waterfront and uh, uh, and like say, "Speed You Love to Me" up on the catwalk. Those tracks were quite rocky, um, but it, it wasn't. It, I thought it was a really really good album, um, a really good album actually because. It wasn't what I expected, and Waterfront is one of my favourite songs of all time. Um, having seen it live a few times as well, uh, it sets the hairs in the back of your neck going, you know, because it's just that, in, that initial bass at the beginning. That do, 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 it just takes over, you know. It's, it's really hypnotic, and and then you get into the guitars, and, and it's just an awesome track. Uh, and I think Sparkle in the Rain was... was um, it kind of freshened it up a little bit from New Gold Dream, and it was more more of a rockier album. Uh, certainly was, you know, but it was a really good album. Yeah. Now the next one, Once Upon a Time, they seem to kind of slip back into gear. Um, it sounded uh, a little bit a little bit more like New Gold Dream to to me. Um, you know, particularly with uh, songs like Alive and Kicking and uh, Sanctify Yourself, which were brilliant tracks. I really love them. How did you feel about this album? Yeah, again, I think that this was a, an, an album to, um, it's a very polished album in, in my my eyes. I think it was going back to New Gold Dream ways. I think this album was written um, with stadium rock involved essentially stadium appearances involved i I can't remember which year we had um don't you forget about me i I think it was after the same year it was the same year yeah so and i and i think that i I was disappointed if i'm honest with you with with don't you forget about me because it clearly wasn't their song you know it it wasn't it was something for a movie it wasn't i'd almost felt it sold out a little bit you know um but but i don't think they wanted to do it in the first place did they no they didn't that's right um but it did well obviously elevated them across the world into into sort of superstars essentially for for a number of years and they kind of lived off the back of that with with once upon a time when did this, that was a stadium tour because I, I saw them in the stadium as well uh, for that tour in Milton Keynes over here in the UK. Um, but what did and I'm going back to live live again. Um, 
what I did see on the tube i don't know if you know about that program over here it's a program back in the 80s called the tube with um paula yates and jules holland used to used to run it and they showed um three tracks from uh, simple minds at the ahoy arena in uh, in amsterdam playing live and you could quite clearly see that their music had moved from um, from New Gold Dream, which which you'd struggled to play in an arena, through to the Spark on the Rain, which yeah, you could play in an arena. Then once upon a time, that album there, that was made for an arena. That was shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And I think that was um, um, that was decided by the band or by their advisors that Do you know what we can take this to a new level now. And um, I think it was produced really well. The Once Upon a Time was an excellent album. Um, the, the title track is is really really good. And again, um, uh, really good live. And, and if you can, if you can, the songs can hold up to playing live. You're halfway there. You are absolutely halfway there. You know, right. But it was a really good album. I think you're right. It did, it did go back a little bit and a bit, a bit more polished and a bit more New Gold Dreamy, essentially. You know, After Once Upon a Time and, of course, you know, the massive success of Don't You Forget About Me, um, which you're right. I mean, it, it, it uh, cemented their name uh, in, you know, pop music fans around the world. And uh, I'm f- sadly, you know, in many people's minds, they will forever be, be remembered for that song that they didn't write, you know, as opposed to all yeah. the great songs they did write. Um, but I didn't really, uh, I guess I lost contact after that. I clearly, I haven't listened to any of, uh, full, full admission, haven't listened to any of the albums after Once Upon a Time. Uh, am I missing something? Is there something in that group of what eight, ten albums that uh, you know sees them uh, returning to that kind of flavor of New Gold Dream, or where did they go? Yeah, I, th- I think I-, I think people did sort of stop listening to Simple Minds a little bit, uh, but they didn't really take on the the. Okay, they were a big band, but they didn't take go on to the the heights that people like U two went to. Um, cause they were similar right. sort of bands really, if you think about it, you know, they weren't, weren't too, too far different. Um, they're both Celtic bands. Um, they both had, um, you know, you two did, it was October, obviously was their first album. And, um, mm-hmm. and it was a, a, quite a raw album as it was life in a day. So they had quite similar sort of, um, journeys through through their careers, I think. Anyway, I, that's my impression. And then it got to a point where, yeah. where they had uh, Once Upon a Time and Street Fighting Years, and then um, the commercial side of stuff seems to stop. Now, I don't know if that if, if linked to that is the departure of um, Derek Forbes, who was the bass player on Simple Minds for the first for up until um, Spark in the Rain, but he also wrote tracks for uh, Once Upon a Time as well. Um, and then after that, uh, he he left for for whatever reason. I think it was a wasn't the greatest uh, departure, and um, and I don't know if that had an impact on the songwriting uh, going forward. Um, but Street Fighting Years, I thought was a good album as well. I, I, I did enjoy and Real Life. Those two albums there um, were my. Um, I wouldn't say they were the greatest albums in the world. But I really did enjoy them, and I, f- I felt there were simple minds. Those two albums, definitely, especially with Belfast Child being on um, Street Fighting Years as well. Um, that was a really good track to um, for, for them to release as a single. Um, but going forward, the the, the, the tracks after that, um, I, the albums after that, should I say, 
they went through a bit of a, a what we call a lull, um, and they they came back um, with an album called uh, Big Music, and it was only a few years ago, really. But that was a really good album, and it that came back to Simple Minds' big sort of once upon a time new gold dream kind of uh, feeling to it almost, you know. Um, they did a did also, did an album and a tour. Um, so I think about round about 2014-15 I did a thing called a called 5 by 5 tour so they took five tracks from each of the first five albums and they played them live so there's 25 tracks so for those people who who were, had only just realized or who who only just appreciate your simple minds you know from new gold dream onwards it took you back to to the early days and then when I, and it was cool. I've got to say it was cool. And you realized actually how good those tracks were and how good those original albums were that I didn't appreciate at the start, but appreciate a bit later on. And um, it, it was 25 tracks and um, and that was really good. But if you if there's one album I'd say to listen to, I'd say listen to Big Music um, because that's probably one that's going to be nearest to New Gold Dream and um, Sister Feeling. Sorry, New Gold Dream and... Um, once upon a time, but they did. Yeah, I'm definitely. Going to... Yeah, they did. A, they did an album. I think. No, what was it called? Was it Neopolis was it called? Which was a covers album, and they did a whole lot of covers. Right, and uh, that's worth having a listen to as well. Uh, did a cover of uh, Japan track, and I think there was a Talking Heads track they did a cover on on there as well, and also did Being Boiled by the Human League cover of that, and that isn't bad. Oh, that's cool. bad. Yeah, that's yeah. worth listening to. I read uh, in early 2020, they started a world tour. I guess they did two dates before they got shut down by COVID like everybody else. Because those two dates would have been in the UK. Were you, are you aware of those? Yeah, I, I didn't get uh, tickets to go and see that. We we went to see, um, the last time I saw Simple Minds was on the acoustic tour they did. I don't know if you're aware of that. They did an acoustic acoustic album, right. um, which, again, is worth listening to. And you've got the American on there and uh, an acoustic version of that, an acoustic version of New Gold Dream as well. And uh, we went to see them at uh, Liverpool in the, the Philharmonic in Liverpool, which is a beautiful theatre with... Um, made for orchestras essentially you know right. and it was actually the same it was the same day uh, the same night when the manchester manchester bombing happened oh, no. um so we were we were in liverpool just seeing simple minds and a really really good gig really good concert and we were coming out of liverpool in the, in the car and driving home and there must have been about 10 unmarked police cars doing 130 miles an hour just flying by, past wow. us you know and we went something's something's happened somewhere and then obviously we got home yeah. to find out what happened and it was it put a real it and therefore the there before the greater god goes i because it, it could have been liverpool as well either that or manchester right. you just don't know you know so wow. it was it was a bit of a sad night to, to the last simple minds concert i went to see but again it was an awesome concert yeah. Um, now there is a word of a new album to come. Do you know anything about it? No, I don't. That's news to me. Um, I, th- I think when we think about Simple Minds now, we have to bear in mind that there's only two members of the band still remaining with them, and that's Charlie Birchall and Jim Kerr. Um, yeah. yeah, the rest of them have all gone their own separate ways and done other things and said, no, thank you. I don't want to be part of it anymore. So 
they've got a, a almost like a secondary band now um and a, they've got percussion uh there's a, a lady on there who's a great percussionist that, that goes with them and she was on the the acoustic tour and i think they're they're going to be using her again i'm sure um but if i'm not aware of a new album so that's news to me bernard but there we go I, I, if you've got news can you let me know okay, I will. <laughs> we hear we here in canada you know find things out uh, first before oh, anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that there's there's a there's one thing I'd like to say on the back of Simple Minds here. You know, um, the cool times were back in the '80s, without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, you you got you got the best of the the coolness of that band. Um, again, I'm disappointed in the fact that there's only two members of that band left, and and they're playing Simple Minds tracks with different um musicians which you feel a little bit you know it would be great to see Derek Forbes on the, on the bass there you know Mel Gaynor on the drums but it's never going to happen again so we know what they will be remembered for unfortunately it's going to be uh, um don't you forget about me what should they be remembered for uh without shadow of a doubt a new gold dream um that uh, that was just the epitome of their coolness at the time i think um, a really good album, and they should be remembered for that. But they should also be remembered for um, Sister Feelings Call and Sons and Fascination because they were pretty much, you know, cool electronic tracks on that on both those albums there. Um, and again, I think they've had an influence, and Simple Minds have had an influence without a doubt of the of bands going forward, like Depeche Mode have, like Ultravox have, like a number of bands have. Um, and, and some people want to play the guitar like Charlie Birchall plays the guitar, and some people want to sing like Jim Kerr. But I think they should be remembered in my eyes for those three albums, which uh, Sons and Fascination, Sister Feelings Call, which is more of an EP than an album, because I think it was only about six tracks on that, and uh, and, and New Gold Dream. That's they're, they're they're the three areas of my. Again, it goes back to youth, I suppose, doesn't it? Really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that, eh? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Listen, uh, um, before I let you go, uh, this has been a fascinating discussion, by the way. I really, really enjoy, I always enjoy speaking with you, Stuart. So um, before I let you go, though, I like to play a, a little game I call Cool Not Cool. So I'm going to list a, a number of artists, one at a time, of course, and I want you to tell me in your estimation, are they cool or not? And if you want to back that up with a, you know, a little bit of... A, a description, please feel free. Are you are you game? I'm game. Okay. Uh, the first one right out of the gate is Classics Nouveau. Cool. Um, I think they were uh, a band that, again, has has influenced a number of bands going forward as well. So I'd say that's cool. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, a very fond memory. And my friend Larry, um, who used to play with uh, Alana Miles uh, of Black Velvet frame, fame, yeah. um, he was a DJ in the, the well, the dance club. Dance club I was referring to back in the be beginning of this conversation uh, was his dance club, and he was he was the primary DJ. And he would always play. You know, he'd play the album cuts, he'd play the the twelve inch uh, um, remixes and that sort of thing. But whenever it came to classics nouveau, he always played the video for guilty he never played it off the album <laughs> because everybody loved the loved the video so much so. <laughs> excellent Good old Larry. Uh, okay next duran duran cool or not cool cool for one album i would say uh the album duran duran Ooh. i thought was uh, a really again it was a really electronic album and uh i loved it um the chauffeur 
friends of mine those tracks were just uh, careless memories really really good um good 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 electronic music i felt they went into rio and they got a bit soulful there was a little bit more soul in the singing there although rio i like rio um that wasn't really not the show i'm thinking I'm thinking of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv was on Duran Duran, the first album. The Chauffeur was on Rio. Um, and that's why I like The Chauffeur, because that was more electronic, right? you know? Right. Um, so from, from I'd say one album, I would say cool. The rest, maybe not as cool. Okay. All right. Craftwork. Cool as a cucumber, without wishing to swear. But then, um <laughs> Cool as F. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the, those guys that uh, started that that band back in the the mid seventies, early seventies. In fact, not even mid seventies. Uh, were absolute pioneers for yeah, pioneers for electronic music, and um, you you cannot you cannot underestimate the influence that band has had on many many genres going forward um simple as that really i saw them live um was it last year it it might have been last year at blue dot festival which was a um a place over here called jodrell bank which has a massive huge uh electromagnetic telescope i think uh and it has this huge it's got it's like a huge satellite dish and that's the backdrop of of the of the concert essentially so there's light shining on on top of this this massive sort of dish um and they're doing it all in three yeah doing it in 3d as well so you're wearing these these glasses and as you can expect the sound was incredible um and i was just blown away by four men just standing by keyboards playing keyboards and i would never have thought that would ever happen but the music that came out of those keyboards and out of those speakers okay takes you back and you realize how big an influence they have been um, on electronic music from 1972 yeah. even all the way through to today and still happens to be um, having an influence on them yeah so true so true uh new order uh cool very cool um came out of joy division uh i wasn't really a fan of joy division um oh no well i i, I, I had to be the mood if, I, if i'm perfectly frank with you um cause some of the music is quite depressing um, and some of it was a little bit, um, I didn't quite get, uh, the album closer I thought was, was exceptional. I did like that. Um, that oh, was yeah. a really good album. Yeah. Um, and the track decades on that album, I think is really, really incredible as well. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. well, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you. And, uh, so I, I came across joy division while they were still around while Ian was still alive. And, uh, the, so it was so different at the time, so different from everything else that was on sort of North American radio that you couldn't help but pay attention. Right. So when you come at it from that perspective, I mean, I can certainly see why you might, you know, think of it as, as quite depressing, but it was so, uh, uh, refreshing, if you you know, forgive that sort of choice of words, uh, de- depressingly refreshing, <laughs> yeah. um, because it was so new and uh, it, it really sort of changed everybody's 
you know, everybody that was in music in my circle, you know, suddenly changed direction when they heard, you know, those two albums, because uh, it was, it was like opening up a brand new door. Yeah, I I can, I can appreciate that now. I really can. Um, And I think when they they were out, obviously Love Will Tear Us Apart is a, is a classic track as well. Um, probably the most commercial track that they they did essentially, um, but right. I, I genuinely think that I can I can see it now, but I couldn't see it at the time. I was I guess I was just too young at the time to appreciate it, and it was probably more of a Manchester thing when I was younger over here because I was living in a different part of the country then, so I didn't really get the exposure to them till after I was into New Order, um, and and the power corruption lies still on still is a really good album for me and um, you know blue monday it's never going to be beaten as a, as a as a 12 inch single you know it's the best 12 inch single that's ever been made one of the best songs ever made you know and the fact that it, it agreed yeah the fact that he even got airplay uh, it surprised me because it's seven minutes long you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay uh, the next one is human league cool very cool again um they're a band that i i kind of got into with the first two albums travelogue and, and reproduction um and th- they they those two albums set the scene for for their biggest um biggest album which was dare obviously now right travelogue travelogue and human uh, travelogue and reproduction so i think they had martin ware on there and they they kind of changed the, the the lineup for dare which made it more commercial. Um, but but right. on both Travelogue and Reproduction, there were some really good songs on there. Then the superb cover version of um, Oh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling um, on, right. on Reproduction. I think that one was on. Uh, and Being Boiled as well. When you when you hear Being Boiled, again, you see it live. The hairs in the back of your neck just stand up. It's like, yeah. like Depeche Mode stripped. This, this sound comes out of the speakers that just just washes into you it just you are part of the music um so yeah so very cool and again they they're still playing live and i've seen them a few times recently and ah yeah still got it still got it soft sell yeah cool yeah very cool um non-stop ecstatic dancing was erotic yeah ecstatic dancing was the first album that i of theirs i listened to and it had this kind of seedy club feel to it um which which i liked i don't know why but there we go <laughs> something about a seedy club i can't get my head around but there we go um it was i, I listened to that and um i, I wasn't really a real fan of the cover version of tainted love um i didn't think it i don't know obviously it was huge but when you listen to the rest of the uh, soft cell music that they've done and the albums i think um i think they did other better things than that um but certainly non-stop ecstatic dancing was was first album i heard a memorabilia off that um was it sticks in my head all the time when i when i want to play it two more before i let you go here abc yeah, cool. Certainly cool. Uh, the Let's Gonna Love was um, in that that sort of pile of records that I had with uh, New Gold Dream and uh, Raging Eden that, that I listened to a lot. 
I, I, I wasn't really into the soulful side of the 80s, like his spando ballads. I wasn't really a, a spando kind of guy. Um, some tracks I really liked, some tracks I didn't like. You know, I didn't really go, oh, these are really good. You know, whereas you use Japan and, you know, that was, they weren't soulful. They were just electronic Japanese sounding bands, you know. And ABC were, were a bit spando ballet ish, a little bit in my eyes. Um, and, but I did find the Lexington Love an awesome album, a really good album. Um, I remember lying on the floor at my mom and dad's house uh, when they were out um, with that a music center. So one of those devices that had tapes, radios, and had a turntable on it. Right. And we had no head- we had no headphones. So I got the speakers and I put them on the floor and I lied either side of the speakers with them pointed at my ear, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I was and that's how I listened to the, the that's how I listened to that that album. Um, going forward, the Lexington Love Two is really good as well. Um, but there was a couple of duds in there with Beauty Stab. I think wasn't um, wasn't really a wonderful right. album there. Um, and How to Be a Zillionaire, yeah, I wasn't really fussed on that either. Yeah, you know, but there was there was certainly some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, final uh, final one, Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, I'd say cool. Um, not i appreciate them I, I did like the first album uh with we- i'm going to my childhood all the time aren't we we've got uh, western girls <laughs> and um love comes quickly opportunities and and uh and that kind of side of stuff um i i, I didn't really get into them for some reason um uh, the first album i liked but i didn't really follow that up as as much as i should have done but i can see why people like them and I understand that they are, they do good music, they make good music, and they're all, I've not, I've not seen them live, um, but I've seen them on TV live, and they, they do a good show, and you can't really, can't really blame them for that. So I'd say cool. Um, however, my knowledge of those beyond the first one, two albums is a bit limited, really. On that note, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, this has been a, a truly great conversation. I've learned a lot about, I thought I knew a little bit about uh, Depeche Mode. You certainly know a, a heck of a lot more, <laughs> as well as Ultravox and Simple Minds. Um, so this has really been a, a delightful conversation. I really appreciate the the fact that you spent the, this time. Well, we've been on now recording for about an hour and a half here so. <laughs> It is a bit of an imposition, but I certainly appreciate it. Listen, but I, I really thank you for, for giving me the chance to have a chat about these three bands because, uh, you know, I could talk forever about them, really. And, uh, and I do appreciate you, you, you know, let me do this with you because I've really enjoyed it myself. And, uh, and, and again, keep making the music, mate, because we love the music from Church of Trees as well. So keep going, guy. Thank you so much, Stuart. Thanks to Stuart for an enlightening conversation. Sadly, due to technical issues, we lost the part of the conversation about Ultravox, but we made up for it with our marathon chats about Simple Minds and Depeche Mode. That's it for this episode. I'm Bernard Fraser saying thanks for listening, stay safe, and please support independent artists.